Good morning, church. Uh, Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, Excited to unpack this Old Testament story with you this morning. Uh, When I was in junior high, I went through a phase where I really didn't understand consequences. Uh, Now, I had been given consequences for my actions, uh, but I didn't understand them from a school perspective. You see, I had gone almost an entire semester without doing any of my homework. And uh, there was one day that I had come home from school, and my mom wasn't home to greet me. And I know that was, that was a little odd, because mom is normally home, dad's working, all right? But I came home, mom's not there, and I'm like, oh well. So I went to the cupboard, got a snack out, sat down, watched some TV, ate some food. Four o'clock rolls around, mom's still not home. Something's a little off about this, but I don't pay attention to that either. I grab my basketball, I head outside, and I start shooting some hoops, Okay. Now, it's getting dark outside, and at about 5 o'clock, I, I head in, and I'm like, oh, man, this, it's getting kind of late. Like, I wonder where everybody is. Dad is normally home by now, and I just don't understand what's happening. All of a sudden, as I'm watching TV, I see our garage light go on, and our door starts going up. I'm like, oh, finally, they are home. Great, because I'm hungry, all right? I don't know what has happened. I don't know what's going on, but I'm hungry, and I'm ready to, I'm ready to dive in on some dinner. And uh, my, my parents come walking in the door, and, you know, they're walking up kind of like something has happened. Now, I don't know what has happened. I don't have a cell phone. That's before all that happens. Um, but my mom comes in, and she's been crying. And I can, I can tell she's been crying for a while because her eyes are all big and everything. Because, you know, sometimes moms just cry for fun. Uh, at least my mom did. So, uh, it, you know, you never really knew what was happening with her. But dad comes in, and he's a special kind of red. Uh, in the face, you know, and I don't mean like I'm angry red. I mean like cartoon angry red. And he looks like he is about to explode. He is holding in his hands my trapper keeper. Do you guys remember these things? My trapper keeper. It was like it was like a big organizing envelope zipper pocket thing. All right, that's a really good description. I think that's how they described it on their commercial. Uh, but my dad is holding my my trapper keeper, and it looks like it's about ready to explode as well. See, I would take my assignments stuff in my trapper keeper and leave it in my locker. So dad is carrying that and I said, so uh, where were you guys at? You know, in a really strong, confident voice. And dad goes, well, uh, your teachers contacted us and asked us to come in for a special parent-teacher conference. Apparently you haven't done any homework this semester. And I was like, right, yeah, nope, I haven't uh, done it at all. And mom is like, well, you told me you had done your homework. And I was like, yeah, that wasn't true. Uh, That was not true at all. And my dad looks at me and instead of blowing the roof off the place and letting all the neighbors know how terrible of a student I was, he said to me, he goes, listen, you're going to be grounded until you get all of your assignments done and we get them back with passing grades on them. And I was like, that's kind of a lot of work. I don't know if you heard this or not, but I've not been doing homework most of the semester, okay? And so, so dad looks at me and he's like, he's like we're going to do it. Every night, you're going you're gonna to have your homework time. Every night before dinner, after dinner, we're not going outside. We're not playing with friends. See, in the middle of this, I did not understand what consequences were. I didn't understand the details of the consequences, right? I didn't process those well. Every day I heard what I was supposed to do from my teachers and I neglected what I was supposed to be doing and decided to go on my own path. And this morning, our scripture is all about someone who ignores the details and goes on his own path. So if you have your scriptures, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 12 through 26. Now, before we get to our scripture this morning, 
I want to give you the background of what has been happening. All right, There's the chaos of the book of Judges that has happened. All kinds of stuff has happened there. If you don't know, if you're not familiar with Judges, go back, give it a read. It's very fascinating stuff. All right, Now we get to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel opens up on Hannah. Right? Hannah is, is, is pleading with God for a child. She wants to have a son. She does have a son. She names him Samuel. And she dedicates him to the work of the Lord. So he becomes the apprentice of Eli the priest. Now Eli was the priest for about 40 years. And as Samuel is rising up as the physical, spiritual leader of the Israelites, so also are the Philistines rising up as the physical threat to God's people. And there's a crucial battle that happens between the Philistine army and the Israelite army. The Israelites are losing the battle. They are losing and it's not looking good. And instead of retreating and and calling on God and asking God what they should do, instead they decide to arrogantly or ignorantly bring out the Ark of the Covenant. They bring it out into the battlefield and set it there in the middle, thinking that that this would cause the Philistines to just flee and to just run away as they were so scared. But God decides to allow the Israelites to lose the battle. And at the same time, the Philistines come and they steal the Ark of the Covenant, right? Crazy story happening here. God then sends plagues to the Philistine camp so that they would actually return the Ark of the Covenant to the Israelite camp. They return the the Ark of the Covenant and now all of the Israelites are saying, I think this wouldn't have happened if we had a king. Samuel, we we need a king. Can you give us a king? Go to God, tell him we need a king. Pick one out for us. So Samuel goes to God. He approaches God and he says, God, listen, your people want a king. I don't really know if that's a great idea. And God says to me, he says, listen, I, I know their motives are wrong, but give them a king. And this is where Saul, our main character for this morning, enters the picture now Saul is tall he's good looking in chapter 9 verse 12 he's described as an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites but as we start to find out this morning Saul also has some deep character flaws in the beginning Saul was winning some battles for the Israelites but in chapter 15 we start to see the beginning of the end for Saul Chapter 15 is where God comes to Samuel and he says to Samuel, hey, tell Saul, get all of the army together, go out and attack the Amalekites. They're wicked people and I I want you to totally destroy them. Do not spare them at all. So Samuel tells Saul that information and Saul takes up his army and goes out. But in verse 9, we read that, that Saul has spared their king, the king of the Amalekites, and their their best cattle and sheep. Samuel receives word from God that Saul has turned away from him and has not carried out his instructions. And this is where we pick up our story this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 12 through 26. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. 
Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Verse 20, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has now rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. This morning, I want us to talk about the danger in the details. If we don't get anything out of this scripture this morning, you need to get this. We need to grasp hold of this one idea. When we don't allow the word of God to affect our hearts, it will not affect our actions either. When we don't allow the word of God to affect our hearts, it will not affect our actions either. If our hearts are not sold out to God, if our hearts have a divided attention, if our hearts are not affected by the words of God, then we will certainly not reflect the actions of God. See, our actions are very telling of where our heart actually is. There's two pieces of Saul's story this morning that we need to learn from. The first is this. We often hear the word of God, but we lack the discipline to listen. Right? I mean, let's go back through our scripture. Verse 3, Saul hears God's commands through Samuel. Verse 9, Saul decides to ignore the details and keep some trophies. Verses 12 through 15, Samuel confronts Saul about his actions. Our scripture is very clear in what Saul heard and what Saul actually did. Saul hears the word of God from Samuel. He has a relationship with Samuel. Samuel's the one who anointed him as king over Israel. But Saul chooses a different path that would lead him to build his own name, build his own fame, and build his own status to prove to everyone how big and powerful he is. We find Saul lacking the discipline to listen to the details. He takes God's commands and turns them into God's suggestions. He hears God clearly but decides to ignore the details. And I want us, I want us to be able to differentiate between hearing God and listening to God. All right? I, I want us to be able to talk about the differences between hearing God and listening to God. When we talk about hearing God's word, we are simply talking about perceiving sound. 
right? We are feeling that God is talking to us. We are noticing that God is trying to interact with us. That is hearing God. But when we talk about listening to the word of God, we move past simply perceiving sound and we move into the realm of giving our attention to his voice and then acting on it. This is a discipline that we need to continue to train ourselves up in because the world is constantly trying to gain our attention. And we're sinful and broken people. You see, I think the biggest obstacle that gets in our way of listening to and acting on God's word is control. If we're honest with ourselves, we value our control over God's control. We would rather trust in ourselves than trust in our maker. This was obviously one of Saul's biggest stumbling blocks. Saul hears God and then gets to the front lines of this battle and decides to take control for himself. He doesn't want some of the glory. He doesn't want some of the fame. He wants all of it. He wants his name remembered along with this fight. So he changes the details. He spares their king. He spares their cattle and sheep to display his dominance over them and then when Saul is questioned about his actions he does his best to mesh what he did for himself and what he did for God see he valued his control over God's word verse 12 tells us that Saul had gone to build a monument in his own honor he valued the voices of his soldiers over the voice of God verse 15 tells us that the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice He valued personal glory over God's glory. Saul's desire for control was actually out of control. And we do the same thing. We value our opinion over God's command. Now don't get me wrong here. We will follow God, but we tend to add in some stipulations. We'll follow God as long as it makes sense to us. We'll follow God as long as we get a map too. We'll follow God as long as we're involved in the planning. We'll follow God as long as it makes us feel good. We'll follow God as long as it fits into my five-year personal plan. We'll follow God as long as it doesn't cost too much. We'll follow God as long as it doesn't disrupt my current situation. We have this innate desire to be in control of everything that is set before us. And our world has become enablers of this. And I remember when I was a kid, we got this, we had this TV, right, sat on the floor. It's called a council TV. It had this big wooden box that sat around it. Do you guys remember this? So as, as a kid, if I wanted to change the channel, I had to get up off the couch, move over to the TV, and press in the numbers that I wanted the channel to go to. And then I'd go sit back down, and then I'd be like, oh, I can't hear my favorite show. So I'd have to get back up. I got to walk over turn up the volume. It was quite a workout, right? I mean, come on. And so now I remember the day that dad brought home this brand new TV, a 27-inch Zenith color TV. Woo, this was awesome, right? I mean, it was so great. And guess what it came with? Guess what it came with? I bet you won't guess. No, you didn't guess it right. Check this out. It comes with a remote control. Now I have control at a distance. Watching the baseball game with my buddy, he's like, I can't really hear it that well. Let me turn it up. 
from the couch. Like, this is awesome, right? Oh, I'm kind of, the game's over. Let's watch something else. No problem. Stay there. I got it. Right? We get all arrogant and everything. Like, I can control this at a distance. Our world has become enablers of this, right? I mean, we don't have to look very long at our smartphones or our tablets or our, or our computers, right? We have these ring doorbells where our fridge can tell us who's at the front door before we even go see it. We have these Nest thermostats, right, where we can, we can program the temperature in our house from our device. We have become so used to having the power to control that we actually believe that we belong in the control seat. It has become a way of life, and I don't just mean in the things that we own. We want to know every detail of every part of our story before we'll trust God with it. We have some serious control issues because we generally are more interested in the kingdom of us than in the kingdom of God. I'm more interested in in reigning over my life than allowing God that opportunity. I'm more interested in knowing all the details and trusting myself than I do in trusting God. You see, we would rather listen to ourselves than listen to our Father. The discipline of listening to God's word over our own assumptions, over our own will, and over our own agendas should not be seen as an obstacle to overcome. But the discipline of listening to God's word should be seen as an opportunity to seek first the kingdom of God. We should be honored that God sees so much value in us that he invites us into his kingdom to play an important role in his story. Richard Foster writes in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, the person who does not seek the kingdom first does not seek the kingdom at all. It's hard to develop this discipline of listening, not just hearing something audible, but leaning into the voice that calls us by name, and acting on what is commanded of us. When we take God's word, we move these words into our hearts, our actions will become radically different. We'll begin to see that God's words are sufficient, and they're not only sufficient, but they are everything we could ever need, and they do a great job of blocking out everything we don't. We often hear the word of God, but we lack the discipline to listen. But when we hear God and we we listen to him and we lean on him and we trust in him and we give glory back to him, we find out that our lives no longer need to be about our performance or our control, but only about our praise. The second piece of Saul's story that we need to learn from is this. We, We believe that obedience is centered on what we do. But obedience is more about who we are becoming. Let's go back to our scripture, verse 17. Samuel reminds Saul where he came from and who brought him there. Verse 19, why did you not obey the Lord? Verses 20 and 21, I did obey the Lord and then some, and then I added to God's story. Verses 22 and 23, Samuel says, God wants your obedience more than he wants your sacrifice. Verses 24 through 26, Saul pleads for forgiveness but never actually has a heartfelt confession He's more sad that he got caught. Samuel says twice, you have rejected the word of God and now God has rejected you as king over Israel. You see, Saul is reminded here that obedience is greater than sacrifice. 
that an obedient heart is more important than busy hands without passion. Saul has made a huge error here, and then he does his best to defend his actions, but Samuel is not buying it. And Samuel says twice in our scripture, because you have rejected the word of God, God has now rejected you as king. You see, what we do is a byproduct of who we are following. Obedience is not centered on what we do, but obedience is more about who we are becoming. We tend to take steps of obedience externally, but I think more often than not, we fail to take them internally. What do I mean by that? You see, we can attend church, even from our couch. We can attend church. We can give regularly. We can serve in our local church. We can serve our neighbors. And those are all very good things. Those are things that God calls us to do But if our heart is not in step with God's, then we have obeyed on the outside but failed to give God what is on the inside. You see, when God gave Saul the plan through Samuel, he was not looking for Saul to adjust his plans. God was not looking for Saul to parade around the king of a conquered land. God was not looking for Saul to sacrifice animals at an altar that overlooks his own monument. God was simply looking for Saul to follow his words, his commands, and his plan. But Saul took steps of obedience externally and failed to take them internally. And we struggle with this too. I think sometimes our hands and our heads are more closer to God than our hearts are. We'll work for God, but we won't allow God to work in us. We're willing to give God some, but not all. And I think we do this because we would rather go through the motions than go through transformation. Because going through the motions requires effort, but going through transformation requires surrender. It requires confession. It requires change. It requires that I no longer lean on my spiritual checklist, but that I fall at the foot of the cross. Transformation requires us to take the crown off of our heads and put it back on God's effort we can fake. We can fake effort as long as we live, but surrender we can't. We can deceive ourselves, we can deceive others, but we cannot deceive God. We cannot deceive the all-knowing, all-powerful God who gave us the plan to begin with. What God wanted from Saul, what, what God wants from us is not obedience out of obligation, but he wants a heartfelt, dedicated obedience that flows out of our worship as a response to what God is doing inside of us. You see, the obedience of Saul was not just about the victory over the enemy, but about victory over his heart. The sacrifice that God wanted from Saul was not that of an animal, but was that of his control and his ego. Actions do speak louder than words, but a surrendered heart speaks loudest. The surrender of an obedient heart is more important than the sacrifice of a heart distant from God. There's a passage that, that as as I was studying through this, there's a passage that just kept jumping out at me. And it was in Proverbs chapter 3. Now it's kind of funny because Solomon, King Solomon's not that far down the line from King Saul. Solomon has these words in Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. And I know that this scripture might be familiar to your head, but is it familiar to your heart? See, if I, if I read it here and then I add in some of the things that, that you and I do, it sounds a little funny, right? Trust in the Lord with all your agenda. That's not right. 
Trust in the Lord with all your control. Trust in the Lord with all of your might. Trust in the Lord with everything that you have. No, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Why? Because our understanding will always be under where God's is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Saul did everything except acknowledge God. And I think a lot of the time our days are filled with acknowledging us but not acknowledging God. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. God does desire obedience. He does. But it's not an obedience that flows out of obligation, but out of transformation. A transformed heart, a transformed mind, a transformed life, a life that has seen and heard the word of God and is abruptly changed. You see, when we surrender our control, we become free to trust that the voice of God is worth listening to. When we surrender our hearts, we become free to believe that a transformed life is worth living. When we don't allow the word of God to affect our hearts, it will not affect our actions either. But when we do allow the word of God to affect and invade and move into our hearts, our lives will be transformed as we pursue the will of God. And here's the thing, church. Here's the really important thing that that we all need to understand. We're going to mess this up. We're going to get this wrong from time to time, from day to day, from week to week, from month to month, from year to year. We are going to fail at this. We're going to get this wrong. We won't listen to the voice of God. We'll push our own agenda. We'll try and take control. We'll do our best to put on a show for God, but our hearts will be far from God. And that's why God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus to be everything that we couldn't be for ourselves. To live a perfect life and to die a perfect death and to be risen from the the grave as the risen Savior and the reigning King. We can experience new life through Jesus. We can experience transformation through Jesus. We can experience surrender through Jesus. So church, what what do we need to surrender today? There was an old pastor of ours uh, growing up in church that always said every Sunday there's something new to surrender. So what do you need to surrender today? Are we being obedient in our actions but not in our hearts? Are Are we pushing our agenda instead of receiving God's? Are we hearing God but ignoring his voice? Are we living by our plan or are we relying on his details?